we went into the American Airlines Lounge yeah. and the Admirals Club. Thank you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, applause, applause. We walk in and we basically were, I, it was like, it was literally this. It was like, I, ba- I almost said, could this day get any weirder? And then I swear on a stack of Bibles, we walked into the lounge and standing in the entranceway was Gary Busey. And he was, <laughs> he was pumping hand sanitizer into his hands, rubbing it together and putting it on his face. <laughs> <laughs> everybody it's mike we're back it's uh that was the voice of the great john mulaney who hosted saturday night live this past weekend for the fifth time so we decided we were going to re-air uh our episode of working it out with john which was our second episode ever of the show uh john and i've been friends for a long time uh probably 20 years and so we just have a blast. I mean, look, you know John uh, from as his work as a writer for Saturday Night Live. He wrote Stefan. He's hosted SNL. He did the Sack Lunch Bunch. He did Kid Gorgeous. Uh, he's an he's an Emmy Award winner. He did Oh Hello with my other friend Nick Kroll. Just a fantastic comedy brain. He's 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 built for the working it out format. He's He's born to work it out. Um, and so I'm so excited that we're, we're playing that for you today. Uh, a couple quick uh, things about my tour. I'm going to be in Charlotte for three shows. I'm going to be in Chicago at the Steppenwolf Theater in April, May for five weeks. I'm going to be in Washington, D.C., which is where John and I actually both started doing stand-up comedy. And I'm going to be in Los Angeles at the Taper Theater with The Old Man and the Pool. It's pretty much the sort of the world premiere of The Old Man and the Pool with the set and the lighting design and and everything. And I'm going to be there for five weeks in Los Angeles. Um, if If you're enjoying the show, do a nice little What's My Favorite episode on Apple Podcasts. Give us some stars. We're loving doing it. Uh, we are, uh, we, we're glad you're enjoying it. And this is my conversation with the great John Mulaney. So I'd be remiss if I didn't start out by just saying something about The Last Dance, which we were texting about the other day. I don't think necessarily people who are fans of your and my comedy would take us for basketball fans. Um, I could see that. Um, However, however, you you grew up in the 1990s in Chicago, and I grew up in the 1980s in Boston. Yeah. And they're like the two, two of the, the basketball dynasties in history. And we had this thing in common the other day where we were texting, where you were saying, basically, your whole childhood was filled with all these championships. And yes. it's like created an expectation for the rest of your life of just championships. And I had the same thing with, with Larry Bird and the Celtics in the 80s. It created a thing where I was like, wherever I am, the greatest thing ever is happening. Yeah. And um, like part of like <laughs> probably at its most insane it was like it's kind of because of me in a, a little bit <laughs> yeah of course yeah yeah, yeah. you're uh, you're a contributor yeah my presence is definitely helping total sense that when we went on like a vacation to puerto rico that 
people would be like, Chicago, Michael Jordan, best city, you know? And I'd be like, yes, yes, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) It was like um, being famous by proxy. (laughs) Right. My friend Michael Jordan, of course. Of course. And uh, indeed, yes, we are the greatest. My whole thing was when I was when I was a kid, I was I was fed a myth about Larry Bird, which is that he was not a natural athlete. That's great. <laughs> so it's like so he's not a natural athlete, and I, and I thought I'm not a natural athlete. I'm going to be in the <laughs> Hall of Fame. Meanwhile, the guy's six six and has hands the size of baseball gloves. Yeah, I, I think maybe it was like he wasn't immediately the best at basketball. I don't, I don't think the rap ever was, he's just not a natural <laughs> But they said, I remember that about Jordan very well. Jordan didn't make the team his um, junior year of high school, was it, or sophomore year? I think it was his sophomore and year. And he was cut, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, all, and then watching the documentary, I'm like, oh, all he needed to be the greatest athlete ever was to be cut once. And then he was like, this will never happen again. One of the things I noticed about the documentary is it really benefits you to be small when you're younger, learn how to be a point guard, metaphorically or literally, and then have a huge growth spurt and then keep all your skills. Yes. Yeah. Like Scotty was that, I think. Jordan was that. Were you at your tallest in junior high, early high school? I was at my tallest in... uh, Fourth grade, and, uh, and then sort of, <laughs> sort of, sort of wrapped it up. <laughs> we 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 closed up shop. The growing team. That was one of my jokes recently. I was writing, which is like, like I didn't realize I was short until I bought a suit. Uh huh. And, and then they're like measuring me, and they're like, "You're forty short." And I'm like, "Easy." <laughs> they're like, "You're gonna need this hemmed." I'm like, "Easy." Uh. Yeah, and and then what's great is it's forty short and forty regular. <laughs> oh, I know. Right, right. That was one of the other jokes. Is like, is like you're not like other people. You're not regular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I grew up on Larry, and you grew up on Jordan. And in some ways, you don't have to say this. I can say this about you because you're you, and we're friends. But you are a bit of a Michael Jordan of comedy. In the sense that you have, like, the championships would be, like, great specials, like, classic comedy specials. Like, when you're watching, the in, like, the intimate glimpse of Jordan, do you relate to him? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was listening. To, I would have cut you off sooner, but I was like, I, this is too, I'm too interested in the full question. <laughs> I, am, I am absolutely not um, like Michael Jordan in terms of excellence. I, I, I'm... I'm uh no I I there's something like uh there there's 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 a dedication to playing basketball that actually bummed me out. I was like I don't I, I do my passion for a living and I yes. don't think I'm as dedicated to it as he was to the game of basketball. Um do did I feel like him watching it? Um no uh except for in a few petty ways. Uh I I have occasionally fueled myself by revenge. Um, <laughs> sure, me too. I remember I was an intern at UCB uh, and a, a later a, a, a later a great headlining comedian was there and I was an intern. I was mopping the bathroom floor and 
this person didn't say hi to me. And that was all I needed. <laughs> I, <That's>, uh, <laughs> as Jordan would say, that I, took that per- I, I took that personally. Oh, I just remember it very well. And yeah. I, it's not even so much that I'm trying to vanquish this person. It's more like, I just, I don't know. I was just like, this will never happen again. Uh, I, yeah, will not, I, I will that. not mop at your feet while you do not say hi to me. I had that. And of course, I made the movie Don't Think Twice about jealousy as a theme. And but, but one of my early petty things, and I've talked to him about it since, is, is I was so jealous of Dimitri Martin when I moved to New York because yes, I you moved were. to New York. <laughs> <laughs> because well, I'll tell you why. Because when I moved to New York, I would show up at shows. And they'd be like, literally every show, they'd be like, you're really good. You know who you should watch is Dimitri Martin. I got, no, I know. I yeah. get it. And, I, I, yeah. and I, took, I took it personally. Oh, sure. I always thought, you know, you guys are very different comedians. But I think it was, so I, 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 wanted, I wanted you to not have that feeling because it seemed, uh, like, uncomfortable. I don't think you enjoyed any, you know, uh, any, like... I wouldn't call it negativity, but whatever jealousy is, <laughs> it's not great. No, but, no, absolutely. Um, but you're, you're such different comics. Um, but it was the thing of like, hey, Mike, do you know who's a genius, Dimitri? And I know. That, that I does, know. it takes a toll. And I've had that with other people too. Yeah, uh, of course. Like, oh, you're a comedian. Do you know who's a genius? <laughs> and uh, so it, it feels like uh, sometimes those superlatives make people like me feel like it's a it's a level it's a preternatural level to which I was not born. Well, it's funny cuz you've in some ways you lived the Scotty Pippen and the Michael Jordan. <laughs> because <laughs> well because you were Scotty to Bill Hader at SNL to his Jordan and then Well, but Bill gave you me be- more credit than Jordan gave Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan's just like yeah, Pip should have gotten in that game. I'm like, dude, you were getting paid a hundred thousand dollars. You didn't even throw your weight around once for your at the oh bulls. You never said to Kraus, like, give Scotty more money. You, you absolutely not. Didn't even think to. Bill, that, Bill, Bill always gave me a lot of credit, which I really appreciated, and which definitely helped uh, me out because writing there all year, you kind of disappear into that cave. And yes. it's not like, it doesn't hurt your career by any means. It yeah. helps. But he helped it even more such that when I would like go to LA for like the one week a year, people would be like, I know you've written this and this. And that was a yeah. really nice experience. Uh, Jordan would never do that for me. So we start the show with what I call the slow round. It's the equivalent of like the speed round, but it's slow. It's slow. Uh, <laughs> and it's just prompts. Like, uh, like, for example, like I have this really distinct smell memory from childhood, which is the YMCA pool, which you've seen me talk about on stage for the new show. Yes. Do you have a do you have a smell memory from childhood? Yes, a um liquid antibiotic for earaches that was bubblegum flavored and was so good it was almost worth it to get <laughs> a, a brain numbing earache. I would I you know I grew up in like Chicago but was in Wisconsin a lot and I'd go swimming in a lake and mm-hmm. I'd get water, I'd get fresh water in my ears and it would settle and, and cause horrible earaches. And um, I would be so psyched when we go to the pediatrician because I knew what I was coming home with, a bottle it's, of that sweet stuff. 
I have all these positive memories of the taste of medicine as a child. <laughs> they really knew what they were doing by then. Um, I feel like by the 80s, they were like, we're going to pump this full of sugar and they're going to be delighted. So the next one is, um, it's called On a Loop, which is, do you have a memory from childhood that you can't get out of your head, but it's not even really a story? Yeah, I was walking by a window when I was really young. I was four. And it was a, a basement apartment next to our backyard. Mm-hmm. And I walked by it and there was a guy with a mustache standing there and he went, boo! <laughs> and it shook me up. I mean, I, I don't know how old I was. I, I, don't, I think I just said I was four. That's a total guess. Um, but I think about it constantly. Do, do you have any memory from your life that still makes you cringe? Like I have this with my first oh. big breakup in my life. When any hint of it comes into my head, I literally cringe. Um, yeah, I have a couple. One was in high school. We were driving past. Um, I was with a girl I'd just started dating and we and a bunch of other people. And we drove past the car. And for no reason, I flipped off the people in the next car. <laughs> <laughs> and then they like sped up, cut us off. And they were like, why the fuck are you giving us? It was like a bunch of dudes. And I sat there staring forward like such a coward. <laughs> I wasn't taking responsibility and I wasn't letting anyone else off the hook and I wasn't helping anyone. <laughs> and I just remember thinking like, that was a very, very, I, I came off very badly there. The next one I have is, uh, is there a group from your childhood or from your life who wouldn't let you in that sticks with you? Well, I was really, I wasn't good at basketball. Why did I, ha- I was about to say I was really bad. That is true. I no, was really you know bad. What's, you know what's funny about this? You and I talked about, this makes me realize, remember, when we first went out on tour in 2005, 2006, whatever it was, yeah. the, college, the college tour, the Comedy Central Media Man on Media Campus Man tour. Media Man on Campus tour, yeah. Um, we talked about this on the bus. Like, I think it really sticks in your craw, your basketball stories. Yes, I, I have a, a bit about it on my first album. I was a really bad athlete when I was a kid. I'm still a very bad athlete. My body is bad at sports. That's the problem. And I say my body's bad at sports because my brain is good at sports. Like, my brain understands how a human being could, like, dribble down a basketball court and then make a layup, right? But then it has to outsource the job to my weird and feminine limbs. And so when I play basketball, it looks like I just bought my body and like I don't know how it works yet. But I played basketball. I played basketball for five years and I was a bench warmer all five years. I was. I was a bench warmer all five years and if you were never a bench warmer, I cannot express to you the humiliation of every Saturday morning putting on a pair of breakaway pants and never having a reason to break them away. (laughs) Then they're just pants. I so relate to this. Um, I would play basketball a lot as a kid. It would would be alone uh, on the hoop on my garage. Were you good? I thought I was phenomenal. Me too. Because I was playing alone. And I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like Bird. You know, this is the beginning. Yeah. And then I started playing. I remember playing a pickup game at Dean Park with Matt Beaton's dad, who was a cop. 
and uh, and and a bunch of our friends, Michael Cavanaugh, Matt Beaton. And I remember shooting the ball, and the ball didn't reach the height of the hoop or the distance between me and the hoop. <laughs> it looked like I was playing another sport altogether. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not kidding. I started crying, literally tears coming down my face. And and your teammates will not throw you the rock when you have tears streaming down your face. <clears throat> yeah, you really, and- <laughs> you really lose the confidence of the squad. I, I, I even like I remember like as we would be bringing the ball down the court. Like, that's the one thing about junior high kids. NBA players are more sensitive because you don't hear them go like, don't give it to him, don't give it to him. But <laughs> junior high kids do, do call that out. I'd be like, I'm open. They'd be like, no, you missed shots. And I'd be like, oh, <laughs> easy. Easy, my um, parents are here. Have you ever been punched in the face? I have never been punched in the face. Uh, I've probably been punched in the head by my brother a lot. But there's something different about brother punches. Yes. They're like knocks. They're very, <laughs> they're like knocking on a head. They're similar to uh, <laughs> whatever Wayne was doing on The Wonder Years. Right. Whatever he was doing was exactly what my older brother did, which was sort of like headlock and then like, I'm kind of knocking on your head really hard. That was my brother too. Like he would, he would beat the crap out of me, <sighs> but I would never be permanently injured. No, and it was, I, almost, it was it was almost like he was a professional wrestler, where he was really <laughs> good at professionally beating me up in a way that doesn't leave a mark. He was a cop. <laughs> yes, exactly. He was like a, he was like a cop who knows how to interrogate people. Uh, yeah, my brother would would just dominate me immediately, and I I, I look back and I'm like, I wonder. I think I just went. I think it was like slightly traumatizing physical attacks. So I would kind of just go like limp, but be like, fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> and then I started ripping his glasses off his face and stomping on them and breaking that's a them. Good, that's a good move. And I remember my mom saying like, you have to stop this. These are expensive. And I said, if he doesn't want them broken, then he shouldn't come after me. And That's, that's strong. I remember it disturbing my mom, you know, that like... <laughs> I, I just was like, I'm going to fight as petty as possible. And if that's you want highly, to avoid it, then he should not do it. That's highly strategic. I, my brother out-punched me and he out-thought me. So he would beat the crap out of me. And I would go to my mom and be like, he just punched me. And then he would make a joke that would make me laugh. And so then I'd start laughing and, and I'm crying. And then he'd say to my mom, if he's so hurt, why is he laughing? Oh my god, that's I know, demonic. It, it's demonic. I mean, and to this day, it's like an inside joke with with Joe. He goes like, "Why is he laughing?" <laughs> Did you ever get beat up by your brother because your brother was feeling insecure about something? Oh gosh, probably, but I don't know. I mean. Yeah, I mean that older brothers. Cl- I mean, well, I guess the real question would be: Would you cl- clock it at that age that that's what had happened? No, no. I mean, I think everything I did as a kid. I, I think that if it weren't for my brother introducing me, because he was five years older than me, he still is, and he, <laughs> <clears throat> he, everything he did, I did. He played soccer. I played soccer. He wrestled. I wrestled. He, when he was a senior in high school, started writing satire issues of the school newspaper. So I started doing that too. 
Uh-huh. And if I didn't start writing comedy when I was in eighth or ninth grade, <clears throat> there's no way I'd be a comedian. Huh. Did, was he annoyed that you were doing everything he was doing? <clears throat> he wasn't annoyed. He was, he sort of enjoyed having a buddy doing oh, it that's nice. uh, with, with him, you know. And so I'd throw in a tag or this or that. It was primarily his work. And then, and then what, and then he went into ad copywriting and I went into being a comedian. And I always say this because I think you have to have a little bit of a screw loose to become a comedian because there's, there's a level of, almost what I describe as like delusion to sort of jump off the cliff or jump in the pool of getting on stage. And because, because hands down, I don't know a single comedian for, for whom this isn't true. You will bomb a lot of times. And when you're bombing, you basically have to tell yourself, no, this is going pretty well. Oh yeah. I will say hearkening back to the basketball to, uh, uh, the court where I spent most of my days. Um, I did think I would get better. And I, <laughs> yes. I, I, I was like, I'm like, yeah, I'm only 12. I'm only 11. I'm only 13. I didn't know that that was it. Um, yes. And that's kind of a bummer now to realize. But uh, I was like, well, I'm at an early age. Um, yes. It wasn't like, I think the total lack of depth perception and hand-eye coordination is a problem. It's not like you're just not tall enough. That doesn't seem to be what's happening. It seems like you can't dribble without dribbling on your foot and the ball rolling out of bounds. Um, (laughs) And then one thing we've talked about before is that, yeah, you have to be delusional. I think in a lot of people's cases, their first couple sets go well. Yeah. And they, like, I think all that pent-up excitement and all those nerves... And also, I think there's something about the the sheer delight of like of people laughing is yeah. evident on your face, and that makes the audience like you. Yeah, I think that's right. Or it allows something to happen that then, like your fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth or ninth or tenth or eleventh or twelfth or thirteenth or fourth. I don't even know. Like, I wonder how many sets I did in those m- months and years of like just nothing. I think I'd have the occasional high high. But a lot of the time, it was just, you know, the B3 just bombing. Totally. And, like, I feel like the thing that you never get over as a comedian, at least I haven't, is, like, when people don't like me, I I take it personally. Oh, it is. It's personal. And it's the it is it shouldn't be. It's a subjective art form. You know, you like this, you don't like this. I, you know, like whatever. Is that like- realistic? <laughs> Does anyone think that way, honestly? Yeah, no, it's not. No, it's not. But is it's anyone like like? Well, uh, that's me putting my favorite part of myself out there, and you didn't like it. But that's okay. That's just an art form. Like I, 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 I it is personal because you, because uh, you think I'm not funny, which is what I've based my whole. Uh, selfhood on. <laughs> so, That's right. So That's I don't like it. I love killing and I hate bombing. I'll be no on the way. record about that. <laughs> um, and the final one is, what's the oddest thing you've ever witnessed? Hmm. But that you weren't a part of. Like, mine Mine was one time I, was, I did a show in Pittsburgh and after the show, I was walking home from the club and there were two people having sex in an alley on top of a car, completely naked, no clothing anywhere. Wow. Was it for like a music video? 
<laughs> it must have been. No, it's so strange. It's just like I feel like over the years on the road, you just see. I feel like you just see odd things where you just go, "Wait, did that just happen?" I was recently at the. Uh, I believe it was the. I was at LAX, or maybe I was at the Burbank Airport, and I was traveling with comedian Dan Levy. And it was one of those mornings where, like, everything was funny because everything was so weird. Like, just the way our, my interaction with the getting my ticket and checking my bag was, like, long, complicated, yeah. and, and very funny and needlessly complicated. And so we were getting kind of, like, we were getting kind of punch drunk on how difficult this morning had been and how weird it had been. We were laughing a lot. And then um, we went into... Uh, we went into the American Airlines Lounge yeah. and the Admirals Club. Thank you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, applause, applause. We walk in and we basically were, I, it was like, it was literally this. It was like, I, ba- I almost said, could this day get any weirder? And then I swear on a stack of Bibles, we walked into the lounge and standing in the entranceway was Gary Busey. And he was, <laughs> he was pumping hand sanitizer into his hands, rubbing it together and putting it on his face. <laughs> And I almost like don't, I just, I didn't even file that under a story because I was like, of course, I, I don't even know if I believe I saw that, but I definitely saw it. Working It Out is brought to you in part by GameTime.co. That's not GameTime.com. I don't know. That's a whole other thing. GameTime.co is a a site where you can get the best tickets for events, sports events, concerts. This is a thing that I'm obsessed with. I don't know about you, but I'm very experience-based, especially if I'm bringing my family. I just want to make sure that the seats are good and I can see everything. And I just think this is a great site. It's an amazing interface, last-minute tickets, flash deals, zone deals, easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, Views from all seats in the venue. Lowest price guaranteed, event cancellation protection, job loss protection. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, use the code WIO, that's for working it out. That's WIO for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code WIO for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Working It Out is brought to you in part by Liquid IV. We're thrilled to have them as a sponsor. You don't need to be an athlete to need extra hydration through your day. Sometimes you forget to drink water. So it's it's perfect for that. It's great for me because I, I really have to stay hydrated and it's great for long travel days, which is so much of my uh, my touring life. There's a very popular product among the staff of Working It Out. My brother Joe said, it's a great alternative to coffee in the afternoon when I want to pick me up. It's sweet, but it's only got 45 calories. It's a great thing to have in the office. Grab your liquid IV hydration multiplier, sugar-free, in bulk, nationwide at Costco, or you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WORKING for working it out. WORKING is the word, W-O-R-K-I-N-G at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop. Better hydration today using promo code WORKING.
so this is the working it out section where we we float things that we're working on, and and I, I can start or you can start. It's up to you. Uh, why don't you start? <clears throat> okay, so I, uh, I I'm starting a religion and it's called Nobody Knows, and we're accepting uh, donations. You just Venmo me five bucks and you're you're now a member of Nobody Knows. And if you Venmo me five thousand dollars, I'll tell you the secret. Uh, but I'll tell you the secret is uh, nobody knows. And if you Venmo me $5 million, you'll be flown in a private jet to a secret island and you'll be blindfolded and taken to the top of a, of a volcano. And then I will whisper into your ear, nobody knows. And then you'll be flown home immediately. But you must never speak of it until one day <laughs> you charge someone else $5 million to fly to the same island and pass on the mystical secrets of nobody knows. And you might be thinking at this point, Mike, what you're describing is a pyramid scheme, and that's true, but it's also a metaphor. <laughs> I love that. that All right, great. so what do you, what, what do you got? Um, <clears throat> dealing with famous people is like dealing with toddlers. And <laughs> the more famous the person is, it's just think about it like the more difficult the toddler is. Like they yeah. have a list of foods you cannot give them. Uh, <laughs> someone else dressed them. Yeah, you can you can set them off, and you can make them upset in the gentlest of ways. And like, it's not your fault, but it will be treated as if it's your fault. Yes, like I think like the most like Bob Dylan and the world's most difficult toddler are probably very similar. <laughs> where you're like, hey, and they're like, oh, no. And you're like, oh, and everyone's like, you shouldn't have looked them in the eyes. Why'd you look them in the eyes? Oh my gosh, I know. That's, that's, a really, that's a really good point. And they don't have keys. Do people, now that <laughs> they don't have keys. <laughs> yeah, it's a real, I see people, I, I always look at what people are wearing, like their pants, and uh, I'm like, you don't have keys or a wallet. Yeah. Someone has those, and if that, and if we kidnapped that person, you would have no, you probably don't know where your home is exactly, and you would not be able to get into it. Oh, and I have a toddler's thing too, which is on the, on the heels of your toddler's thing. I have, all toddlers have a Boston accent. They're like, I'm tired. And Boston, <laughs> Boston toddlers are like, I'm wicked tired. I got up early. I had toast and butter for breakfast, hamburger for lunch. You better put a diaper on me because I'm going to destroy these pants. Oh, my God. That's very funny. <laughs> so stupid. I think, like, I always wonder what happened to accents. Like, I know there's still some regional ones, but, like, when you watch old movies, people are like, like, nah, you're going to shit here. And you're like, what, what, what the fuck is going on back then? Like, did anyone hear anyone normal talk ever? Like, uh, I, I do think then when you, I have seen that with toddlers, that they're like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I want to go at 230. And you're like, oh, you, I think maybe old-fashioned gangster people just never learned how to talk because they're still talking <laughs> like they did as toddlers. Right. Gangsters, yeah, gangsters, sounds, and, gangsters and celebrities sound why? like toddlers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how come he's going at 230? It's very, uh, how little kids say 30 uh, is very funny. You're curious, like, do you, at this stage, because you just released a special. I mean, you just released so many things back to back. You, The Sack Lunch Bunch, the Oh Hello podcast, you just did SNL. Like, are you working on a new hour right now? Like, what's in your head? 
Yeah, I was really, I really um, enjoyed getting ready for the SNL monologue, and I was, I was pretty primed to go on to start doing clubs and then, then build a tour out of it. I need uh, deadlines. I need to know, yeah. like, I have a, I'm doing, you know, the Comedy Attic for three nights coming up, and while I can work out new stuff there, I sort of think like, well, I want to know what, you know, I want to know what thirty five, forty minutes of it is. Yeah. Um, I've always had a good enough uh, war chest, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've always had like an hour that I can do that's good, uh, that I think is good, but m- not maybe, maybe all of it isn't like I would film that tomorrow. Um, because I, I, I pretty much, I steadily do colleges and, um, you know, one off shows all the time. Yeah. Well, I remember you, when you were getting ready for Kid Gorgeous, you sent me the audio of like a show you had done in Florida. And you were like, hey, do you have any thoughts on this? And the first 15 was like, I was just telling Pete Holmes this recently. I was like, the first 15 was 15 minutes of, be- of the best Florida jokes I've ever heard in my life. Oh, God, and I, yeah. I was just like, <laughs> what the hell? I, I called you. I go, is this it? Is the Florida stuff in the special? You're like, no, no, no. That's just my whatever, like upfront local Florida <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I mean, after watching Cat Williams, I could have left it in. Have you seen um, his new one? No. Oh, that's filmed in Jacksonville? No, no. Is it on Netflix? <gasps> yes. Mike. Oh, okay. I, the I'll, first, I'll watch it. The first 20 minutes is about Jacksonville. And it is. So funny that you don't even care that you don't know anything that he's talking about. That's a riot. He has that quality about him. It was like it was like fucking Jacksonville. He just kept talking. <laughs> he kept just saying it. He was like he was like, and the sun in Jacksonville. That's not like any other fucking sun. And people are laughing so hard. I'm like the sun in Jacksonville. <laughs> And then um, he starts talking about, he's like, every neighborhood in Jacksonville sounds like it's the name of a soap opera. It's like, this week on Crystal Gardens. And people are dying laughing. People are dying. He's killing so hard. It's, 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 it reaches a point where you're like, you know, I think I was watching it a little, maybe I was doing something in the other room at first. And I was like, is he still on Jacksonville? You know, I kept, walking, <laughs> kept coming in and out of the room. Uh, it's it's glorious. I have so many local jokes that like I've never like found a home for. Like I have one where I was in Boise, Idaho, and usually I show up in the morning or the night before so I can get a feel for the town and open yeah. with something about the town. And <clears throat> my flight was delayed from the morning, so I got in right before the show. And I said to my tour manager who had been there from the night before, I go, what'd you do today? And he goes, uh, well, I went to this local uh, breakfast spot, Goldie's, and they said the wait was going to be 45 minutes, and it ended up being just 10 minutes. And I was like, I was like, pull it back, Goldie's, getting a little cocky there with the wait times. And then he laughs, and then I walk on stage, and I just tell that story as though it happened to me at Goldie's. And, <laughs> and it worked. It worked. Yeah. And then the next morning, I get up. And I go to the <laughs> concierge and I say, hey, which direction do I walk to get to Goldie's? And the concierge goes, well, you would know that if you had gone to Goldie's yesterday, oh like you God. told us all last night. 
And I realized that there are some towns that are too small to lie in. <laughs> I, it would it would take me a few minutes to realize that. Yeah. If I was a concierge, I'd be like, oh, well, here it is. And, uh, you know, you walk over there. Oh, wait, you've been there. Oh, no, wait, you said you've been there. To immediately go, well, sir. <laughs> no, if it was a full burn and I took it, took it, uh, I took it hard. Good for you. Yeah. Um, okay, this I'm trying to, this, this I like, but I don't know what will happen with it. Um, it. When I was a kid, if you grew up Catholic, Madonna was so stressful. <laughs> That's so good. She was like an older sister who would do something that would get the whole house in trouble. <laughs> yeah. It was just it would just set my parents and their contemporaries off. It would set the priests off. Everyone would be you'd be in church and they'd be talking about like and the crucifix is not a thing for Madonna to wear. Oh my god. In a gosh. scandalous video and you're just like Madonna, can you stop? Like you're causing a lot of trouble. Oh my god. Like That's good so for funny. you, but like you know, we get lectured about your behavior. It was always yeah. like, and you're yeah. growing up in a world where Madonna is seen as someone to be like. And it's like, listen, none of us exactly want to be like Madonna. Uh, maybe a couple of us do. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not like, we're not going to make a sex book, um, but we do want to do some <laughs> things. We do want to do some things. And if you're this, if you're this after our ass now, yeah, I, I, uh, I was when that sex book was going to come out. I remember just like chomping down milk of magnesia, being like, "Oh God, I'm going to be paying for this for a year." Right? It's like, well, That's you could what, be like Madonna, and you could yeah. burn crosses with your friends. It's like, no, no, no. Yeah, we're not gonna I was burn, always like, we're not going to burn crosses. How, um, how oppressive was that Catholic upbringing that Madonna had to always have sex on camera with a crucifix and a serpent? It's really like, really, really sticking it to them. Um, I'm very annoyed that Rush is back in the news. <laughs> that was a, that, like Madonna. That was a thing. That was that was that was a stressor for my child that I didn't need. Um, our great rival, Russia, indeed, a great foe. Remember, we had the space race with them, and that was very. That was a really serious rivalry. Here was the space race. Russia shot a dog into space, which is the most, <laughs> which is the most Russian thing you could ever do. <laughs> so then to, to retaliate, we shot a man into space. <laughs> and then to retaliate against us, Russia slowly fell apart for 25 years. <laughs> and then to retaliate against that, we shot like nine more men in space. And then we walked on the moon and then we put our flag on the moon and then we drove golf carts around on the moon because we were so yeah. bored on the moon, we had to think of new things to do. Yeah. And also that dog lived, by the way. <laughs> and I'm sure had trust issues yeah. forever. They'd be like, get in your crate. would be like, oh, you want me to go in there? And then you'll shut the door behind me? Well, that kind of reminds me of the time you fucking shot me into outer space. <laughs> um, and then I, my final one is I, I um, people always, when they have a, when they, sometimes people, when they die, they, they'll come back to life. And uh, and they'll say there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but I think that's sort of a hacky death hallucination. Like if I had that happen, I would lie for sure. Like if I came <laughs> back and I'd seen the light, they'd be like, "What happened?" I'd be like, "There was a polar bear, and instead <laughs> of arms, he had talons, and inside the talons was one jelly bean." And then the polar bear said, 
anybody want any jelly beans? And that's when I came back to life. And everyone would be like, Mike had such a creative death. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be really funny if you almost died. And then I'd come back and be like, I want to tell everyone that I saw God. And I will only reveal it on Joel Osteen. And... I want it simulcast on a bunch of different networks. You know, I'd, I'd really drum it up. Like, I must speak my witness or whatever you say in religion. And then when they said, like, you saw God, what did God look like? I'll be like, I hate to tell you, it's Zeus. It's all of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it was all of the Greek gods, exactly as they were drawn. Yeah. <laughs> there was a Poseidon, Poseidon held a big trident, and he said he was in charge of the sea. And goddamn, if Zeus wasn't the most powerful of all of them. Yeah. So they had it right years ago. So the final segment of the show is called Working It Out for Charity. And I, I know that you do a lot for charities and nonprofits. We've done a lot of benefits over the years. But did you have one that you wanted to shine a light on this week? I do. Uh, I would like to highlight the Parole Preparation Project. Um, They're working to help incarcerated New Yorkers that are threatened by COVID. Uh, It's an enormously large task. Um, I think if you go to paroleprepny.org, you should read about what they do. They're recommended by the Innocence Project. Yes, um, that's right. And they have freed over 300 uh, death row inmates who were about to be executed uh, using DNA evidence. They're a great organization, and I learned about the Parole Preparation Project through them. And if you go to paroleprepny.org, it'll be the first big banner there. They're working on releasing aging people in prison, as well as working with the governor and other state leaders to release any truly vulnerable people that are in the DOCCS. Well, I'm going to donate to them, and I hope uh, the listeners will consider that as well. John, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, uh, you've been a great friend, and and I'm always in awe of all of your work. And uh, thanks for thanks for working it out. Oh, I couldn't be more uh, lucky to be your friend, and uh, in awe of everything that you do. And uh, you're an absolutely brilliant. Uh, genius, and if you didn't hear that when you first came to New York, <laughs> you should hear it now. <laughs> You're the Michael Jordan, and I will not hear any uh, response refuting that. Uh, I think I'm a happy Scotty, but I, I like, I like <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll uh, we'll see you. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. Working it out because it's not done. Working it out because there's no. That's going to do it for another episode of Working It Out. Again, that's John Mulaney. You know where you can find him. You can find him on Instagram at John Mulaney. You can find him on Twitter at John Mulaney. You can find all his specials on Netflix or the clips of him on Saturday Night Live are all over YouTube. Um, I love that guy, and uh, we hope to have him back again real soon. Our producers of Working It Out are myself, along with Peter Salamone and Joseph Berbiglia, consulting producer Seth Barish. Sound mix by Kate Belinsky, associate producer Mabel Lewis. Thanks to my consigliere Mike Berkowitz, as well as Marissa Hurwitz and Josh Upfall. Special thanks to Jack Antonoff and Bleachers for their music. Go check them out on tour. As always, a very special thanks to my wife, the poet, Jay Hope Stein. You can follow her on Instagram at, at Jay Hope Stein. Our book is, is called The New One. 
and it got nominated for the Thurber Prize in American Humor. It's one of the semifinalists. We're so proud. I love the Thurber House in Columbus, Ohio. You should check that out. Or pick up the book at your local bookstore. As always, a special thanks to my daughter, Una, who helped me create a radio fort made of pillows at the very beginning of this process for this second episode we did way, way, way back when. Thanks most of all to you who are listening. Uh, I was walking down the street the other day in Brooklyn, and a man jogged by, and he picked up his uh, picked up his phone with his earphones he's listening to, and showed it to me. And it was the podcast episode with David Cross. And then he flashed it, smiled, and then kept jogging. And I just loved everything about it. Clearly, that man is telling his friends, he's telling his enemies, because he knows we're working it out. See you next time, everybody.